When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf and Simon. And we're on and this is another edition of Three Yards Per Carry where we are evaluating the roster, um, doing our uh, our autopsy on the season. We're doing wide receivers and tight ends today and uh, I guess touching on some other news. As always, this show is brought to you by Factor Meals. We have a dedicated page over there. You can go to factormeals.com forward slash three yards per carry five zero. That's the number three yards per carry five zero. And you use that promo code three yards per carry five zero. And you get 50% off your first order for all THC products, shrooms, edibles. Go to dietsmoke.com and use the promo code Waddle, as in Jalen Waddle. Use the promo code Waddle and you get 50% off any one item. And of course, prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com forward slash three yards. We also have a dedicated page there. Uh, the number three yards and use the same promo code, the number three yards. And you deposit $100, you get $100. And that's as simple as I can make it. It's the best promotion anywhere. You deposit 100, you get 100. Well, uh, let me start the show by thanking the Miami Dolphins because if you thought that we didn't we wouldn't have anything to talk about or we were just gonna go on and on about the wide receiver core and and the tight end group or lack thereof uh you were wrong because the dolphins are they're excellent content creators simon and i'll start with you Mm -hmm. um like there's nobody better Uh, the miami dolphins are the best content creators in the nfl maybe the dallas cowboys you know maybe i'm i'm selling the dallas cowboys uh, a little short but what do you make of this this huge news of uh, Ricardo Allen, Mike Judge, and Brendan Farrell not, not coming back uh, next year? Huge. I'm not sure how we're going to cope, quite frankly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you know. we're, ta- we're going to talk about uh, Vic Fangio. Simon, Vic Fangio, one and done, one year. Uh, what do you make of the whole thing? And then I'll ask e- each of you about your, uh, your candidates, because I think we're going to have a little time here before there's a hire. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I, I posted in OnlyFins about eight days ago that I didn't believe that he would be the uh, the defensive coordinator next year, and I was beginning to hear some rumblings and um, just some dissatisfaction, I think, certainly from players on the back end. I think there was an issue around David Long earlier in the season, um, which was uncomfortable in terms of Long not really playing very much, given how good he is. Um and then I think there was a lot of dissatisfaction on the back end with a number of players, including Jalen Ramsey, Javon Holland, 
uh, cater Kohu in terms of the scheme and how they fit in within the scheme and the inflexibility of the scheme. But also, I think, um, you know, we all know that Mike McDaniel is very easygoing. He's flexible. He's malleable. He's innovative and he's accepting of input. And I think Vic is very much more of that old school, kind of much more stubborn, a bit of a hard ass, not nearly as malleable in any kind of way, shape or form. And I think that, you know, it was quite a, uh, a disconnect, Chris, I think, between the between the two sides. You've got one head coach who's, you know, young and hip and the other who's older and maybe not quite as flexible. I think Vic probably found it quite difficult as well, um, you know, but I just think there was general annoyance from from multiple players um, and about their ability to to contribute. So I, I wasn't surprised, Chris, were you? No, uh, not at all. And, you know, like you, we had been talking about it on OnlyFans really, you know, since the uh, since the game ended, um, since the, the last game, the playoff game, that um, that if you're really reading the tea leaves that uh, and you look at hard knocks and you look at um, sort of the uh, the attitude of some of the particularly the defensive backs. Um, I believe, you know, you can go back to and on Hard Knocks, there's a dinner where Javon Holland is talking about like how hard it is to how hard it is to learn um, this defense. There were clear issues uh, there. There was clear issues with Jalen Ramsey being unhappy and sort of, uh, you know, gritting his teeth the whole time, but not saying anything. Um, there were, you know, there, there's issues with, uh, with the personnel. I, I, I brought this up a lot on OnlyFans is you kind of got these, these little tiny morsels of Vic Fangio sort of taking a shot at the personnel department, um, over, you know, not having the sort of players that he wants for his scheme, um, taking little shots about, you know, they're talking about, for example, all the high snap counts of the defensive linemen. You know, Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer um, were number one and number three in the NFL in snap counts for big men, for big defensive linemen. Um, usually you can have one guy like that, you know, if he's, if he's special and Christian Wilkins is on his way to a special contract, but, you know, two guys like that. And, and it just looks like you're overworking your players. Um, I think they were similar, they were similar with, uh, with Bradley Chubb and, um, and, you know, even Jalen Phillips before he went down. Um, I think that, uh, I think that the, between the little, shots that Vic Fangio when he when he was asked about that Vic Fangio said something like well we don't have very many defensive linemen so they have to play high snap counts and it's just like it's stuff like that you're like mm, you know there's there's something going on there um and then meanwhile you look at what he did with Cam Smith uh by the end of the year I'm told Cam Smith pretty much you know the opposite of the whole draft day, uh, uh draft day movie um you know Cam Smith doesn't play no matter what um, you know, and <laughs> yeah. they'll even, they'll even, and, and I was literally told this Cam Smith doesn't play no matter what they'll, they'll put Ethan Bonner out there instead. And, and he did um, in a playoff game <laughs> and they did, and they did do that. And, and if you look at that and you look at, uh, Channing Tindall, you know, think about it from the personnel side too. They now have nothing to go on in the off season. From from a standpoint of you know evaluating what we're supposed to do, you know they don't know anything about what they have in Channing Tindall and uh, and Cam Smith because you know even in, in you know because the defensive coordinator refused to find 
any way to get them out there, refused to find them any way to get them some snaps and some tape uh, that would give them basis for evaluation. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing that it is very common for def- for coaches to do, you know, when your personnel department and your coaching staff are actually working together. So think of Vic Fangio as the head coach of the defense. You know, if you're thinking of him as the head coach of the defense, then you have a full on split between your general manager and your your head coach in terms of not working with one another um, and and not listening to one another. And that's that's what I sense. And that's not tenable going forward. Uh, you put that together with the fact that there's, you know, there are multiple players out there, particularly in the defensive backs room, who are out there celebrating his firing. I mean, just outright celebrating. Um, and so clearly there was consternation toward him uh, amongst the players. Uh, and then, if you know, I'm so, I know that a lot of people will argue against this, but we've been talking ad nauseum about how the defense has performed or sorry, how the offense has performed against the quote unquote good teams. And there's a lot of that, that everybody are acknowledging, you know, against the good teams, good defenses, that offense just wasn't what it was against the, against the bad teams, you know, and that, that's on the quarterback. That's on the head coach. We've been talking, we've been criticizing the hell out of Mike McDaniel and his play callings his uh, his, uh, his third and short, his, you know, red zone, stuff like that. We've been criticizing the hell out of Tua and how he performed at the end of the year and the, you know, the penultimate games against Buffalo and, and Kansas City. Well, why aren't we talking the same way about the defense? Why aren't we talking about, you know, the fact that Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson could go Wilt Chamberlain on our defense? You know, like, why aren't we, we talking about how uh, in the Kansas City game, in the playoff game, in negative 30-degree weather, you know, when a game that you would expect to end like 10-6 or something like that. The Chiefs were gaining over 400 yards, and frankly, if the temperature were 20 degrees higher, they would have laid 40 points on the defense. I mean, I know there were injuries, and yes, injuries injuries are a factor, but, you know, were injuries a factor against the Chargers? Were injuries a factor in the first game against the Bills? You know, were injuries, a, you know, at, at what point do you start to look at the fact that, you know, I did this. I did this exercise earlier and stay with me on this, but if you take the average points that teams that, that our opponents scored, our opponents scored on average, whenever they didn't face us, whenever they didn't face the Dolphin, the Miami dolphins. And then you look at, you compare that with what they scored on us. Teams scored 53 more points against us than they did on average against everybody else. Okay. We were allowing more points to offenses than they generally scored against anybody else in the NFL. So part of this is like, you know, yeah, congratulations. You you embarrassed the eminently embarrassable Aiden O'Connell and Zach Wilson. Great, you know, on defense. But what else, what other what other feathers do you have in your cap on defense, really? Because and and this is this is a bit, you know, I, I think to my personal experience, because I'm talking up the defense. I'm like, you know, Miami's becoming a defensive team. They're not an offensive team anymore. This defense, this defensive line is great. They're stacked and stuff like that. And I'm talking them up. And I got people on Twitter like, yeah, yeah, they, against powder puff opponents. And I'm like, no, no, you're gonna see, you're gonna see, you're gonna see. And then they face Baltimore, and Lamar Jackson just puts up a Joel Embiid number against us. You know, I, I mean, it's like, oh, 
I guess I was wrong. You know, and 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 that is a fact. We were wrong. The defense was an overpowered, underperforming defense. And uh, and so I don't think, you know, if it would be one thing if Vic Fangio had all these complaints from everybody, all the players, all assistants and stuff like that. If he had that uh, and the defense was actually really good and, he, you know, and, and you just excuse it and say, well, everybody better get the F on board, you know. Um, but the fact of the matter is we had an underperforming defense and uh, and and with all of that personality issues and it just it just had to it had to be rectified uh i thought it was uh it was in- interesting in during training camp when uh they were talking about when the guys came in and fangio was essentially walking into the building as mike mcdaniel was walking out uh, do you think simon that the next defensive coordinator is gonna have to be a better social fit with mike mcdaniel because i want my head coach communicating with the defensive coordinator i don't want two thiefdoms inside the building okay i don't i I don't want i don't want i don't want to separate the team into two head coaches a head coach for the defense a head coach for the offense i think that's a bunch of nonsense i think they got to have a better social fit which would mean a guy somewhere around 40 years old uh innovative young you agree yeah, I, I think you make a great point. Social fit's a great term for it. I, and I think, you know, I don't necessarily mean that there has to be somebody who wears really cool trainers and, you know, mugs for the cameras and is kind of really funny <laughs> like Mike is, but just somebody that is, you know, slightly younger, uh, who gets the modern player. You know, this is not 1987 in terms of players. The memory span is different. Players' expectations are different. The, the way players live their lives are different. And I think, you know, that's been a tough marriage, I think. Uh, in part for for more veteran coaches, especially especially Vic Fangio, uh, and I think it will be a younger guy. Um, I, I suppose I have a question, really. And I would call it a an educated guess that the, the, the not a concern, but there's just a um, you know, do you want to put a brand new NFL defensive coordinator who's never been a coordinator before? Um, in with a head coach who is still very young and still learning on the job and still has issues to iron out himself. And we've talked about this before, but certainly, you know, short yardage, some of the play calling, all that sort of stuff. And as much as you want a marriage between offensive mind and defensive mind and head coach all being on the same page, you know, if, if you've got a very young defensive coordinator who's never done the job, then that might be distracting to McDaniel away from some of the things that he's got to focus on. So, but I, I do think a social fit is is really um, is really key, which is why you know names like Ajaro Evero, who's currently the Panthers DC, but you know is interviewing for head coaching jobs, but depends on who takes over at the Panthers. Will depend on what happens with his future. I mentioned guys and only things like Shane Bowen and Chris Harris and Chris Shuler and Sean Desai, who I'm sure Chris will talk about in a second. Aiden Durd, who's the defensive line coach at the Cowboys, and Bobby Babich, who's the linebacker coach of the Bills. I'm James Betcher, who's obviously got links. Uh, Brandon Staley, I know you know it's not necessarily a popular name, but Staley was a very good defensive coordinator. Doug Belk at USC, Jonathan Cooley, Jesse Minter, who's a defensive coordinator at Michigan. Will he go to the Chargers with with Harbaugh? Um, Chris Kachurek, who's a defensive line coach of the 49ers. Jim Leonard. Uh, DJ Elliott, uh, Robert Livingston, who's at the Jets, and Anthony Weaver at the at the Ravens. And I think, you know, some names that need to be also, you know, on the kind of radar 
Temla Kuba, who's a, who's worked with McDaniel, Mike Ruttenberg, who's worked with McDaniel, and Aubrey Pleasant, especially who's worked with McDaniel, obviously part of the Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur. I think they were at Washington together. They've obviously worked, uh, I think um, Pleasant is now at the Rams. Anthony Campanile, obviously, is the other name, the linebacker coach. And and I suppose part of that is he, he's much more of a social fit, Chris. But whether or not, I know I think he was DC at Boston College for a little while, but whether or not he might be viewed as too inexperienced, I don't know. Where do you sit on that? Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, the debate about the experience level, because, you know, at this at this point, I'm tempted to say Mike McDaniel heading into his third year, if you're still treating him like, for example, as like a rookie head coach, then, you know, maybe he's not meant to be um, because and yes, he is. He has had growing pains. Um, but I'm no longer willing. I'm no longer willing at this point after two years. You know, I'm willing in his first year to to talk about growing pains. I'm even willing to talk about it a little bit in his second year. Um, I'm not willing to uh, to change around my philosophies or my uh, inclinations on what we do in his third year based on his being green because he's not supposed to be green anymore. You know, we, we shouldn't, we talk about, you know, even by the end of a player's rookie season, he's not a rookie anymore. You know, like we talk about that. Um, we talk about players in their second seasons and their third seasons. Um, they're, you know, they're starting to give to be veterans now. So I think that applies to Mike McDaniel. I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, keep, keep walking on eggshells around him. So if, if, if Anthony Campanile is the, the, is the right choice for the defense for, you know, all the reasons that we're talking about culture fit and, um, and let's not forget that they interviewed him for the head coach or sorry, the defensive coordinator position right alongside Vic Fangio back when, uh, before they hired Fangio, uh, just as they interviewed Chris Richard and, uh, and Sean Desai, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not willing to move things around anymore, you know, based on Mike McDaniel being green. And there's also kind of a different way to look at it where, you know, yes, Mike McDaniel was green clearly in his first season and he was green in his second season, uh, or just a little bit less so, but, you know, probably still learning some things. Well, you gave him kind of a tough situation in that second season where you gave him, you know, this the, the godfather of, of modern NFL defense, so to speak, um, a guy who is, you know, going to do things his way no matter what. And uh, and and it's it was kind of difficult for McDaniel to to figure out how to how to deal with that, you know, because it did produce consternation in the players. Um, it probably produced consternation from some of the other assistants. Probably didn't feel good, you know, to McDaniel himself to not be listened to um, by the guy. And, and you know, basically a guy that would just be like, you know, hey, fuck off. I, I've been doing this since before you were born. Um, and and so I think that, that that itself can be, if we're if we are talking about McDaniel being green, actually, I think it's a little bit harder to deal with somebody who who has been you know who is who is set in his ways so to speak i think you know with and i've talked about with campanile uh with some other people before some people in the know um you know i think that his his uh personality makes a decent like sort of yin versus yang uh with mike mcdaniel uh in as much as you know listen there's a point when particularly when you're losing when mike mcdaniel's shtick 
and he does have one and he's always going to have one because he's just going to be himself no matter what and that's fine but it, it starts to wear it starts to grate on you a little bit when things are going bad right um and you're like i don't want to hear the jokes anymore i don't want to hear you know the the unserious um you know the kind of way that he has about him sometimes and i think that campanile like makes a good makes a good yang to that when uh when things are going down because he does get in there and he has a very different very fiery personality but i think right now the sense that i get is that whoever's in there is not necessarily supposed to run a dogmatic you know set in their ways this is what we do and this is what we're going to do no matter what kind of defense it's not going to be denominational like a religion you know it's um and that's why you know part of me is like i know that steve ross for example would like to uh look at leslie frazier uh even though he's still owned by the bills but i think you know his contract is still um or his rights are still owned by the bills and but i think they'll relinquish that i, I don't think they'll oh, i looked in, i looked into that and the bills uh their their hold over his contract is done this season yeah okay so so i mean yeah so, so he's I, free I to think, sign anywhere he wants i don't think they were going to get in his way anyway but i know steve ross would like to look at a leslie fraser for all the reasons we talk about putting an experienced voice next to mike mcdaniel and stuff like that but leslie fraser himself kind of has a reputation for being very set in what we do and not really changing things around and and the feel that i've got is I think Mike McDaniel wants a wants a defense that is do whatever makes sense this week, you know, and mm. and I think that that you know based on what we have in the players, based on who we're playing, um, I think that he appreciates Vic Fangio. And the thing about Vic Fangio versus Mike McDaniel is there was no Vic Fangio versus Mike McDaniel. That's not what this ended up about. So let let's let's put that out there. Mike McDaniel knew he he had eyes wide open about who Vic Fangio was when he when they when they hired him like and so even if there was any like oh he's not you know is he listening to me is he not listening to me that sort of thing um I don't think that I don't think that really played into it at all I think this was all about other stuff um so but I think that Mike McDaniel would probably appreciate right now the sort of malleability and versatility that might come with even a guy that's you know green and and looking to prove himself looking to prove himself either at the nfl level coming from college or looking to prove himself because he hasn't been a defensive coordinator before all right and with that we'll leave it right there something tells me we're going to be talking about this again uh next week uh but we're going to go to break now and we come back we're going to move on with our roster review the pass catchers wide receivers and tight ends but first these words when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. 
So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage to your home or business? Are you having trouble locating a five-star rated general contractor that is fully licensed, certified, and insured? If the answer is yes, then Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. With over 60 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, Jorge, and their team is prepared to handle any size property damage disaster. When an unexpected damage occurs to your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. Their objective is to make the cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed general contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that business homeowners and business owners require. Water Cleanup of Florida is now an authorized dealer of Eurocraft cabinets, so premier kitchen, bath, and laundry cabinetry, countertops, and other accessories are available for your viewing at their showroom in Boca Raton. Or, do you prefer to shop from your home or office? Then Water Cleanup will send you one of our design specialists to you with samples and products that fit your style and budget. Call Michael anytime on his personal cell phone if you have any questions at 954 954- Five seven nine zero three five six. That's nine five four five seven nine zero three five six. Or visit their website at wcufl.com. You can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And please check out their more than eighty five star reviews on Google and Facebook. Water cleanup of Florida. If you have the schmutz, they have the guts. I'm Jalen Phillips, and you're listening to Three Yards Per Carry. And we're back, Simon. If you look at the stats on these wide receivers and we're, and we're going to do a little bit on, on the wide receivers first. And if you believe next gen stats and why not, because those are just hard facts. Separation stats are, are tracked and they're pretty, pretty accurate. You get a pretty clear picture. You get a picture of two elite performers and not that, it, not, not that Jalen Waddle had an elite season this year because he did not. He had a good season. Okay. Season, but not up to his standards, not even up to the standards that he set last year when he had 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns. Uh, this year, it went down to 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, he had to deal with some injuries as well. Uh, I think he has to get in the lab and improve his game. But if you, the picture you get when you look at this team on its numbers, even just counting stats as far as targets, you got Hill at 171. You got Waddle at 104. The guy who next comes close of the pass catchers, Braxton Berrios, at 33 targets, who also had a bad season. You got a very clear picture, especially on next-gen stats with their separation numbers. You have two elite guys, and everybody else is essentially not a good receiver or, quite frankly, a bad receiver. Uh, Your take on the unit, because that's my take, is we got two guys, we got nobody else. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's that's right. I mentioned it last week. I think we need to significantly overhaul the receiver room, but also I think we need to significantly overhaul the receiver mentality in terms of we still have a Tyreek Hill problem. We talked about this last year uh, at the same time in that he gets too many targets. We rely on him too many times. Talked about it last week in the show where Tua looks deep into double coverage against Legereus Sneed and Justin Reed in the end zone when he's got Waddle wide open underneath for a massive gain against the Chiefs. And, and this happens game on game on game. And I completely understand. You've got arguably the best wide receiver of a generation. Why wouldn't you want to feed this guy? But 
to make this offense better, there needs to be more diversification. We need to open up targets. And I, and I think, you know, depending on what happens with cash, uh, I think there will be receivers that they target specifically in free agency. I would not be surprised at all if they went early on a wide receiver. But if you look at it, you know, even with Hill and Waddle, there are some issues there. Drop catches were a, were a big deal for this team. You know, you look at some of the critical mm -hmm. drops against Baltimore, against Philadelphia for, for Tyreek, huge touchdown catches that were dropped, big moments in big games that we just didn't deliver. And, and that's something that's got to be ironed out. But I do think the receiver room needs a complete clear out. I, I think Berrios was disappointing. Eric Ezekanma has done nothing in two years river craycraft you know they, we love his blocking and stuff but he really you know didn't see much of the ball he's um, cheap enough he's cheap enough that you could just you know stash yeah, him at the back of older, the room. you know he's going to be 30 years old do you you know do you not want to get that receiver room a little bit younger you know it's That's um, you know robbie chosen again was rarely involved was more often than not was a you know it was a healthy scratch uh, and then beyond that, you kind of like, well, Anthony Schwartz and they've signed Matthew Sexton and Braylon Sanders. But, you know, these guys couldn't get on the field when we had injury crises. Are you done with uh, the Chase Claypool uh, Yeah, experiment? the Claypool experiment for me is over. You know, he didn't really show anything. Cedric Wilson's the other one as well. He's a, a free agent. And, you know, I just can't see Ced coming back either. I, I, I don't think, you know, he maximized his ability. And I also don't think we maxed him up. We, you know, we used him correctly. So I'd be looking, you know, there are guys in free agency. You know, Jawan Jennings of the 49ers would be the absolute, you know, the guy that I think they'll probably target age-wise. He's 26. He is a tremendous blocker. He obviously sits behind Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. So it would fill a similar role. There'll be a question whether or not he wants to continue to be a three, you know, but, he, you know, he's a guy that Mike McDaniel has worked with, and who knows? You look around, and <clears throat> people like KJ Osborne, you know, Rashid 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 Shahid. Try saying that after no drinks. Um, he's an exclusive rights free agent, but was undrafted. Um, there are guys that I think fit a a profile and fit this scheme um, that I think they might be looking at. I just don't, I just don't see the benefit of continuing into next season with with two guys and then a massive drop off to everybody else who you just can't rely on in, in big situations because that Chris was was a huge problem last year yeah I think I think you hit it I think they fell in love so much with you know kind of what they do um on offense and we've talked about the lack of uh you know the lack of breadth and um and and variability in what they do on offense I think they fell in love so much with what they do on offense that certainly the wide receiver unit as a whole ends up seem seeming like it's striking one note over and over again. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think that, yes, that probably does need to change. I think what it does is though, is it emphasizes to us um, how demanding it, this system is the way they've constructed it. Um, the way they play offense, uh, the way they have Tua throwing with so much, you know, anticipation all the time. And, um, you know, it, it's very demanding on these receivers to get off the line of scrimmage, avoid jam, avoid jams, get into their route uh, and be exactly where they need to be at exactly the time they need to be there and run the routes very uniform and very, you know, very crisp. And uh, and oh, by the way, also be fast and be compelling playmakers, you know, 
And, and I, it's, it's a very, Oh, and also from a culture fit standpoint, because of the culture we're trying to build here, be a good dude, you know, like, like that's, you don't really find unicorns like that that often or as often as as you might otherwise think. And so it makes you appreciate what Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle really are for this team in terms of um, the guys that that help them run this scheme. And uh, and I think that that's uh, we we should we should appreciate that and, and value those players. And because every now and then I do hear it, you know, should we should we trade? Um, Tyreek Hill while he's at the, you know, the peak of his value, should we trade or let go of, or trade away, uh, Jalen Waddle? And I'm trying to tell you that we ask these guys to do such heavy lifting Mm -hmm. in the wide receiver room that virtually nobody else that we get ends up looking sufficient aside from those two. And we've, we're two years into that now. So I think um, I think yes, it, it does need an overhaul. Yes, they need to keep uh, keep swinging at the bat. Um, I think that uh, if if I'm being honest, you know, with the the way that Devon Achan keeps getting hurt um, and with his size, I've always said this. I'd be more intrigued with the idea of moving him to wide receiver like Tyree Kill did. You know, once upon a time. Um, and he is clearly one of the offense's best playmakers and most compelling overall players. And this is the one of the offense's most important positions. So I, you know, that makes that makes sense to me. That's one of the reasons that makes sense to me. I would consider doing that. I would strongly consider doing that. Um, and then otherwise, I think that yes, uh, you you will you need to get some receivers that can do. Uh, present other values in other ways um, as opposed to very small guys that Tua is trying to layer the football in over the middle of the field, like over top of the linebacker, but underneath the safety to a guy who's five foot 10 is, 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 is a pretty hard ask. You know, I, I know people don't, they put everything on the quarterback and they're like, you know, Oh, just do it, just do it. And it's like, well, yeah. Okay. But, stack up all the other quarterbacks in leagues and ask them to do that a lot. Um, and it's, it's tough. It's tough. So you need, you need size um, and you need some, uh, some versatility. All right. Now moving on to the tight ends, I want to go ahead and take a victory lap because when we were doing our bold predictions before the season, I came up with, and some people were saying that's a ridiculous uh, prediction, but I, I predicted that the tight end room would not have more than 30 receptions all season. They had 41. <laughs> so I was pretty close. And for the first time in franchise history, they got no touchdowns. None. Um, Durham Smythe is a decent blocker. Julian Hill is a good developmental guy as far as a blocker, short area receiver. Uh, they, they're in desperate need of, of a guy who could run routes, especially when you watch the All-22 and they got Durham Smythe running sale routes and they have him running, running the same. He's... He's a four-eight guy. He can't run those routes. Uh, it's a waste, and you saw it. Especially, you really saw it. it. It started showing up in the Bills game, but it really showed up in that playoff game where Kansas City was essentially spotting the route. Meaning, Durham Smythe is running the seam. Durham Smythe is running a sail. Durham Smythe is running a corner. We're ignoring him, and not only are we ignoring him, we're coming off of him to get onto Waddle or Hill. If he's in in the route combination, 
uh, that has to change. They need a guy that other teams can respect, uh, especially when you're running the seam and running the sales and running corner routes. If you're going to have a tight end running the running deeper routes, he has to be able to run. Durham Smythe is not that guy. They need that guy. Your thoughts, Simon, on the entire room and that guy. The tight end, excuse me, I'm going to cough. <clears throat> the tight end, essentially, as we all know and have discussed since Mike McDaniel took over, is such an integral part of what he wants to do. You know, there are very few George Kittles out there, but in an ideal world, he's going to have a guy that can run down the seam, that can run every route, that can run away from safeties, that can run away from linebackers, and then can take on a five technique 1v1, which is what George Kittle does. Those guys are pretty rare. Um, we certainly don't have one on the roster. Uh, Smythe is is fine. Smythe's a fine player. He's a solid enough number two. He blocks okay. He, you know, he's got a safe-ish pair of hands. Julian Hill, to me, is very interesting. You know, he'll run a 468. Um, he's a big dude at 250. I, I thought his blocking was excellent this season, really excellent. And I think, you know, there's definitely something there. You know, can he develop into that guy? It feels like it's a big step up from a guy from Campbell to become a you know, a lead dog at tight end in a scheme as complex as McDaniels in terms of what he's asked to do. You look at free agency and again, you know, we're looking at guys like Austin Hooper and Gesicki and Gerald Everett and and Noah Fan and Robert Tonyan and Irv Smith, the same guys over and over and over. And uh, Jimmy Schultz Gray is and, getting uh, Schultz is gonna make the market, by the way. Yeah, Adam Troutman's another one, 724 catches for the Broncos, you know, but are these really guys that are moving the needle? And, and then you go to the draft and you look and, you know, you've got a couple of guys who are who are really interesting in terms of being a, a bit more kind of move tight ends. And, you know, is there going to be a, you know, will Mike get to a point where he thinks, you know what, Julian and, and Durham can handle some of that blocking and I'm just going to have to go with, you know, a guy um, like uh, the the Sanders kid at Texas A&M, like uh, Jaheim Bell, formerly of South Carolina and now at Florida State, who's improved his blocking whilst he's at Florida State. But these are much more guys who can, you know, you can flex out into multiple positions and do multiple things. And it, will there just be an acceptance that that's what they can do? So I think in the idealist of ideal worlds, they would absolutely have that George Kittle type character. And you look through the draft, you think, well, you know, Cade Stover, Ben Sinner, Eric All of Iowa, you know, an Iowa tight end. Um, you know, these are guys who could, you know, potentially do these sorts of things. All on Stover and Sinner, all decent blockers, uh, more athletic, but obviously not nearly as athletic as Jatavian Sanders and and guys of that ilk. But, you know, it, it's difficult. It's a difficult quandary because you just know, Chris, don't you, how much McDaniel would love that. And also what a great outlet it would be for Tua and would take some of the weight off just constantly looking at Tyreek and, you know, trying to force the ball sometimes to Tyreek Hill, knowing you've got an outlet there that, you know, you can pick up 10, 12, 14 yards, but also can knock Greg Rousseau on his ass if he needs to. Yeah, I think that um, if you're particularly on third down and that, that became such a huge issue, uh, for the Dolphins and um, at the uh, toward the end of the year. And we're all sitting there like, hey, and we were talking about it so much uh, on our last podcast about the running back room. And, you know, these guys were underutilized. We didn't utilize the ground game enough and, and all this stuff. Well, you know, it's hard to s- establish your ground game when you can't convert a third down. I think it was two out of 24 third downs that they converted in those last two most important games of the season. Um so if you can't convert a third down, you don't have a chance to establish a running game. The math doesn't work, actually. And so uh, so I think that third down and being able getting a tight end that can help you on third down uh, is a big deal. 
And, um, and, and it's something, and it's clearly a position that, as you've alluded to, the, the Dolphins and Mike McDaniel has struggled with. Uh, they struggled with it. They had Mike Kosicki here, and there had such an emphasis on making sure to uh, um, surround Tua Tunga Bailoa with playmakers that they went ahead and franchise tagged him and gave him that $10 million, even though I think we all knew that, you know, just eyeballing the fit, we're like, well, that, that doesn't seem like a – I think even from a, the standpoint, forgetting – Forgetting the blocking fit, which we all knew uh, was not good, um, you know, even from a from the standpoint of his role in the passing game, I don't think Mike Gesicki's fit was good in a run after catch kind of oriented system like uh, Mike McDaniel's, where he wants Mike McDaniel, uh, where he wants guys that are a little bit more um, jittery, compact, uh, you know, a little bit more balanced, can can you know work in short areas a little bit more. Uh, whereas Mike Kosicki's very classic long strider, uh, go up and, and get the rebound kind of guy. Um, so, but they, they struck, they, they had such an emphasis on making sure they get the playmakers. They went ahead and gave him $10 million anyway. Uh, and, and it didn't work out and they let him go. And then they, they have a room of guys that, you know, fit what Mike McDaniel wants to do from a blocking standpoint. Certainly, Durham Smythe and uh, and Julian Hill. You couldn't. He could not ask for more from that standpoint from uh, from that room than what he got. And yet, at the same time, they couldn't really factor into third downs or the passing game. And so now you now you you're back at it this off season. And I still go back to what Mike McDaniel told Greg Olson um, prior to uh, to doing a game, which was. You know, Greg Olson's like, what about tight end involvement? And Mike McDaniel said that is the next stage of evolution for this offense. And um, and I think that that's something, you know, that 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 struck me as something that he didn't just say off, you know, off the cuff to appease former tight end Greg Olson. I think that that's something that's that's going to be real. And so I think it's something that they'll look to address this offseason. I don't want to let best be the enemy enemy of better. So, you know, when you're looking at some of these free agents and we're like, how much does that move the needle and, and so on and so forth? Um, if it's if it's still better then it, you know, then it's better. Um, but I don't know how you feel about it, Simon, but it, it just seems like uh, in the draft lately, uh, the last couple of years, a lot of these tight ends are blocking better than they used to. You know, even the ones that you're talking about, like, you know, uh, Jatavian Sanders and Jaheim Bell, now Jaheim Granted, Jaheim Bell, I'm talking about uh, his FS Florida State tape more so than uh, his last year at South Carolina, where he was basically a running back by trade. Um, you know, so I, I think, but looking at their blocking, I'm like, this is still better blocking than I used to evaluate back in, you know, 10, 10, 12, 15 years ago, even. Um, I'm thinking about like, you know, guys that uh, that I used to look at in the shrine uh, when I was going to all the shrine practices and stuff. And and I'm still seeing better blocking pretty much across the board. Yeah. So I don't know if colleges, you know, the coaches or whatever just got religion that way or whatever. But I think back to Mike, when Mike Kosicki came out and his blocking coming out of college, I think back to you know, before I alluded to other guys from Shrine, like Dennis Pitta and guys like that, you know, 
I'm looking at these guys that are even not necessarily stunners as blocker, not necessarily the Darnell Washingtons of the world, but even even guys like Jaheen Bell and Jatavian Sanders seem better than they used to be a long time ago. Makes me anxious to address this position in the draft, but I also recognize I'm I'm anxious to address the offensive line position in the draft, and you can't do everything you know, all at the same time. So, so there's realities there, but I don't, I don't know about you. Simon, do you feel that way? Do you feel like college is producing better blockers at that position now? Yeah, I do. And it's the interesting thing for me, Chris, is that it's producing better blockers at tight end and worse blockers on the offensive line, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think is part of the reason why we have an offensive line problem in the NFL. But I mean, I look at like, you know, if you take like the top 15 or 20 tight ends in the draft, you go Brevin Spanford blocker, you know, um, McKellen Castles, blocker aj barner blocker um priest corn blocker you know eric all blocker ben sinner blocker Cade stover blocker brock bowers blocker do you know what i mean there's you know these are guys that can actually block the, the problem is finding guys who can do what the best in the business can do in terms of that that multi or dual aspect blocking and and receiving you know and kittle is the kind of the gold standard you've got bowers coming in now kelsey's a much better blocker than people give him credit for though he tends to just run more routes than he than he does block but yeah i do agree that the you know and i don't really know why it is because it's not like these are you know a lot of these tight ends are just big right wide receivers these days in college aren't they and then they you know they bulk up a little bit they get in the weight room and those sorts of things and it, you know it's not like blocking necessarily especially in those kind of high school fun and gun offenses are being taught to block mm-hmm. because they don't run a lot so i'm not really sure how or why it is maybe it's just a maybe it's just an acceptance from some of the college coaches that you know and in you know in conjunction with the kids is that look if you you know you've clearly got the ability to make it at the next level but if you really want to make it you've got to become a you know a dual aspect prospect otherwise it's not going to work you can't you know yes there's a career to be made potentially on special teams and a guy who can be in sub packages but if you want to be there on first and second downs and make a lot of cash you need to combine blocking with that athletic ability and those hands you've got all right and we're going to leave it right there uh the next time we speak to you we're going to be talking about the offensive and defensive lines that should be a lot of fun especially when we talk offensive line uh toron armstead and his valet uh the black hole at left guard is robert hunt gonna be back connor williams my god is austin jackson any good at 13 million dollars that's gonna be a really fun episode we will see you then thanks for listening to three yards per caddy you can subscribe via itunes on podbean or your usual podcast provider Big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here, making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save-